Welcome back to the What You Want More podcast. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Stewart with The Market Distillery. Thanks for being here as usual. You always do a fantastic job. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Quentin. Glad to be here. Yeah, so this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the CPI. And I think by this time, we're all really inflationary experts. And I feel like this is a topic that I look back and kind of chuckle at. You know, I've been in the industry for 21 years, and I can't ever recall a time prior to really this year that anyone even cared about the CPI or the PCE or inflation as a whole. And, you know, from a common standpoint, it's been so low for so long that we really haven't had to worry about it. Mm -hmm. But it's funny how this is actually driving the market more so than it ever has before. And I feel like this is all we talk about. Yeah. This leads to the Federal Reserve's actions, the Federal Reserve's actions in hope to detour the inflationary readings or what we talk about later on. And so today we're going to definitely talk about that. We're also going to talk about the reading that came out, which I think was a little bit of a lackluster win for everybody, if you may. I mean, it was kind of one of those that came in as expected. We'll talk about what that means. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's not what we wanted. And I think that's important here because we were expecting it to be lower as a lot of other people. And we had reasons for that. Um, We'll talk about why we think that's still going to happen, but this wasn't what we wanted coming out uh, in February to get the January reading. Yeah. And it, it, it's so important because it affects every household. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, people don't realize this, but inflation is a tax, and it's the silent tax because nobody's necessarily passed a bill or has made a news announcement saying taxes are going up, but when inflation's happening, your paycheck may not be moving, but the costs are. And so suddenly now your money doesn't go as far, and it affects every single family. So it's really important from that regard. And then in real estate, super important from the standpoint mm-hmm. of interest rates because yeah. we know that – where inflation goes, inflation is going to pull those rates with it. And they're going to either go higher because inflation's high or they're going to go lower because inflation's low. And, you know, that's the the, the hanging of a whole industry sort of in that hand. Yeah. Uh, because if rates go down, we know that's going to spur a whole lot of activity in the real estate market. And if rates stay high, it just is you're sort of walking with weights on your shoulders, yeah, right? Great it analogy. Didn't, it, didn't, it didn't stop the market. Right, but it, it made it a lot harder to get things done. A lot fewer people could get what they want, and there was a lot of hesitation. Yeah, and so just a kind of a, a quick hit here as we start CPI, Consumer Price Index. Yep. This is the inflationary measure to the consumer. This is what you and I would see when we go to the stores, to the gas pump. I mean, yep. when we go buy a cup of coffee, the list goes on and on. Right. This is where we see it. Um, then there's the PPI, which is the producer price index. That's where the manufacturing side yep. sees it to make the goods, like the iPads we're working on right now. Like that's where they see it. And then they yep. pass that down and they have a choice to pass that down to the consumer, which is the CPI. Right. And then the PCE is the Federal Reserve's favorite form of inflation they measure um, because that sector is, it moves a little slower as yep. far as what the inflationary sector looks like. But let's quickly get back to the CPI, which is what we're talking about, the consumer portion, the one that hits home. Yep. There's, for our new audience members, there is a core and there's an overall reading. Right. And the difference between the core and the overall reading is always going to be that energy and food are stripped out of the the overall reading to get to the core, which we always find ironic because those are the two factors that actually, you know, influence your your pocketbook and your budget more than anything else. Yeah, it, it's a good way of you you gotta look at both the numbers. Mm-hmm. And we always talk about this. If you're gonna be informed on anything, you know, you gotta try to get the whole picture. Correct. Um and we see this at the pump. You know, I, I think it was maybe a month or two ago, you know, you were texting me about the prices you were seeing and how they were going up so much. Correct. And then just yesterday I was looking and they're they're almost already back down. They're almost already right? back. Yep. And and so that to itself speaks to why the 
total number may not be as significant as the core mm-hmm. when we talk about inflation. And that's just because events outside of our control can cause uh, prices to move on food and energy. But to your point, those are still very critical things to our lives. And that's why we do factor that sure. in as well, right? We got to sure. look at both of them because I think the Fed is is saying policy should be based on the core. However, as consumers, we really do care about the overall number because that's what we're feeling. Yeah. So as we kind of jump into this and take a look at it, um, let's kind of start with the obvious here. I think it's one of the things we don't talk enough about is the largest factor. Everything's a weighted average, if you mm-hmm. may. And there's quite a few factors. I, I could venture to say it's probably 18 different ones, I think, last time we looked at the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Mm-hmm. But there's one in particular that has the highest weighted average of any factor in there. And that's something they refer to as shelter costs. Yep. And, you know, for the for the audience listening, do you want to kind of explain what shelter cost means and why that's important in this equation? Yeah, and I guess to go back just a little bit further on the weighting, just mm-hmm. to explain that as well. So they, they don't treat everything that they put into their shopping basket the same, right? Correct. So think about if you're going through the grocery store, you know, the cost of, say, butter, which you maybe use on every meal, they're going to probably give that a little more importance than the cost of some exotic you know, seasoning that you only use every once in a while. The price of saffron or, you know, star anise is not going to be as important as as butter. Uh, That's that's how they're treating this. They're saying the cost of your housing, the cost of your shelter is far more impactful to your life. And so we're going to say when we measure inflation, we're going to give that more importance. And we do that by weighting it heavier. Right. Um, And so shelter is really built up of two measurements. It is uh, the measurement of actual rents mm-hmm. and the measurement of something called owner-occupied rents uh, or owner's estimated rents. And they they get these in two different ways. The, the actual rents, they're literally surveying 8,000 people a year. That are renting currently. That are renting yeah. and saying, what are you paying for rent? And they break this into six groups so they can get 12 readings mm-hmm. off of these 8,000 people and split it out through the year evenly. To, to try to get live updates. And I would venture to say that's a pretty accurate reading. Like if you're renting, you know what you pay in rent. Like you definitely, it's almost like your car payment. You know, my rent is $1,500, no yeah, questions asked. Exactly. And I, and I do feel good about at least that's a real number. I agree. Right? We know that people are really paying that. Now, the hard part about that is how often does your rent change, right? Mm-hmm. And how often does your landlord raise your rent? It's becoming more common that they would raise rent. But just sure. because it's more socially acceptable after all the things that have happened and costs have gone up so much. Um, but in general, that's probably going to be a little more stable. Uh, to answer the, your question, it's about a year long, right? Right. It's about a year long before you see that rent change in any way up or down. Yeah, and it's it's going to be trailing, right? So I'll, I'll say this. More rents probably update in the summer mm-hmm. than at any other time of the Agreed. year because that's when the most people are looking to make a move anyway. So, um, you know, it's it's just a factor to consider. And then the other one is, again, owner's equivalent rent. This is an interesting one uh, because— This one one really kind of blows my mind, Alex, because it's, in my opinion, and I think we've talked about this before, it's a very outdated measurement, as you're about to kind of break down and show. It also is, to me, one of the most ludicrous forms of measurement that I could possibly imagine, as you're about to tell the audience here how this actually works. And as prehistoric as this this survey they conduct is, it's actually—we still use it today. Like, this is how we compulate the highest— weighted portion of the CPI. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll stop there, but as you can tell, I'm, I'm not too thrilled <laughs> with this one, but go right <laughs> tell ahead. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah. The, um, 
it is essentially calling homeowners and saying, <laughs> if you were going to rent your house, how much would you rent it for? Which you and I both know it, the answer dude, is probably a little bit more than your mortgage payment, right? I'm not going to rent this castle that I live in for any less than this. That's how that that's how that proposition goes, right? You know, phone rings, bring, hey, survey, what do you rent your house for? Oh, I don't know, six thousand dollars. Yep, yep. How does that even make sense? Well, and I think um, the interesting thing about this is I'm sure these models were created before we had such data readily available, right? right? So if we think about how you can make it better, well, you could consider Zillow. Zillow has a rent index. They, yeah. A lot of properties that get rented far more than than um, the sample they're getting here are on Zillow. You don't necessarily know what they rent for ultimately, right? You just get the list price, mm -hmm. but that still tells you roughly where the market is because right. they're not renting, they're not listing these things for dramatically different than what they're getting in most cases. Correct. Um, so I think it's probably a little bit of legacy. This is how we've done it. This was before we had the Zillows of the world that provided all this information. Um, and they use these two together to put together that shelter cost. Well, two thoughts there. Maybe, maybe, just maybe they're also measuring the psychology of the market, right? Sure. Maybe that's one way of doing it. The second thing is, you know, they've changed almost every other metric that they want to measure. <laughs> I, they could easily change this one. You know, they've changed every other metric out there in the form of jobs and mm -hmm. how we measure jobs and how jobs are created and unemployment levels. Yep. And they've moved the goalposts on quite a few different things whenever they want it to work for them. So I'm very surprised this one hasn't been changed as of yet. Well, and it's interesting you say that. Uh, I think we had expectations on this specific reading sure. of a a lower than expected number to come in mm -hmm. for two specific reasons. They had announced previously, and the they, by the way, is the Bureau of Labor Statistics, had announced that they were changing, one, their weights Correct. of what was most important and how, how important it was, um, and that they were also going to change their seasonality, how they impacted uh, their, their numbers based on seasonality, and then they were going to change to be a one-year average instead of a two-year average. So there were, there were a variety of measurement changes that were about, and I think our personalities were saying, well, look, one way to get inflation to go down and for everybody to feel better <laughs> is to maybe just change the way we calculate it. And so we were surprised that after they made all these changes, it still came in the way it did. And so that begs the question, one, you know, and we've got to dig into these things because they didn't they didn't pre-publish what Correct. all these changes were yeah. going to be. They just said, hey, things are changing and now we have to dig through it. But the question is, is was it actually worse and this brought it down to be what was expected or did they really not change much? That's and, what I'm going to And that might with. be the answer. I'm going to go with those changes really haven't taken place yet. It's almost like a formal fair warning announcement. I don't think it's happened. Well, and I don't think we've seen that that adjustment that they're referring to yet. Right. I mean, we've even heard hints that the the weighted average of shelter costs was going to be raised, and we can't find that anywhere in the most recent report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that that happened at all. Right. And so it's like it's one of those things that led me to believe, like, well, I don't think they've done what they said they were going to do yet, and maybe they will, um, but they haven't yet. So what does this mean for interest rates? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It's it's a standstill right now. It's really like the roller coaster that we keep talking about that should be coming downward with that momentum. And you know, right now we have that. If you're if you're a person that likes to ride on the front seat of the roller coaster and you're that thrill seeker, you know your your part has already gone down the actual part of the roller coaster from the top peak. We're waiting on the rest of the cart to create that momentum to come down, create that whip effect. Hasn't happened yet. Right now, right now we could almost pretend like 
we're on pause, right? It's literally just paused because of what just happened. Now, we think next month we're going to get a better reading. It's not just Alex and I saying that. There's actually factors where we're replacing a higher shelter cost. Right. Next month was one of the highest shelter costs of all the CPI readings over the course of the last 12 months. So we should see a significant drop, and that should create that downward momentum thrust that we're talking about. But Alex, to your point, um, you know, it wasn't expected. So right now we're at a pause button on interest rates. But the ride... The ride goes to about June. And what I mean by that is that's when the roller coaster starts to come back up a little bit. So really between now and June is when you're going to see that whip effect and that downward pressure of mortgage interest rates to to kind of be in your favor as a buyer or a potential refinance. Yeah, I think when anybody forecasts what we're doing is making educated guesses as yeah. to what we think will happen. And that's that's the first thing to recognize is when, when we say we think something's going to happen, you know, it's not like we have a crystal ball and we know. Sure. But we're, we're saying – Okay, when we look at the readings, we're going up, and it's almost like, do you have the wind in your face or the wind behind your back? Mm -hmm. And I would say inflation uh, has the wind behind it to make it come down faster right now, and that's because of the things you're comparing against. Because at the end of the day, all inflation rate is is how much prices are going up. So again, it's not that inflation's going away. It's just not going up as fast as it was the same time last year. And so um, we'll see. I mean, we're down to about six and a half on the overall, five and a half on the core. Um, but I did want to bring something up that, you know, we discovered when researching this that I think is going to be relevant and something that people haven't heard of. Um, the Atlanta Fed actually put out what's called a sticky CPI. And the whole idea behind it is there was a research paper done saying, hey, look, you know, when you measure inflation, it's all about what are you putting in your shopping cart? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what are you comparing price-wise on that? They they essentially had a, a, a theory that, okay, if we put things in that shopping cart that don't usually change their price as often, it may give us a better feel for what is happening in actual inflation. Such and so, nice. yeah, I was going to say, so let's compare. So they called it flexible price and sticky price. Flexible is things like uh, meats and used cars, motor fuel, gas, uh, lodging away from home, so hotel costs, mm -hmm. um, cereal, footwear, jewelry, um, all sorts of things that are somewhat discretionary, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to a certain degree, but also are subject to fluctuations in price based on the economy changing. That was really what their focus was. Economy gets bad, guess what? You're probably not taking those trips. You're probably not spending as much on gas. You're not going to buy that hotel. You're not going to maybe spend the money on the jewelry, right. things like that. On the sticky price, they're looking at a lot of the things that you use every single day, regardless of the economy, right? right. So here we're talking about infant and toddler apparel. Uh, they got motor vehicle maintenance, medical care, uh, alcoholic beverages, public transportation, uh, Tenants and household insurance, right? So you got to have insurance in a lot right. of cases, and then those those shelter costs. Uh, so there's there's a variety of things there, but what they found uh, in this research paper that they produced is that ultimately they believed that they could measure a better expectation of inflation in the future. Uh, and so why I bring that up is because when you look at a chart of sticky CPI, unfortunately. It's it's sort of just steadily rising. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing here is uh, we can substitute the word sticky for constant, right? Right. And then you could substitute the other portion of that. I forgot what the term was you used there. Flexible. Flexible as, as you know, either not constant, variable. You know, I'm sure it's another word for flexible now that I think about it. But the reality is, you know, there's things that you have to have 
that you can't avoid, and right. that's in that sticky section. And this is a rather new concept from the Atlanta Fed. Right. But the reality is what we're seeing is those must-haves, those prices aren't coming down. Those prices are on a steady rise up, almost like you're taking off with an airplane with a slow rise right. versus what we're seeing on some of those other side, you know, that, that flexible side, or even more importantly, the CPI right now. It's just completely different story being told on the backside. And if the argument is, hey, this is a more accurate reading right. of what's going on to the consumer, that doesn't look very good. Well, and it, it leads us into our forecasts of what do we think is going to happen in the future, right? Sure. So, you know, we do think in the short term, like you've said, first half of the year, things should get better on the inflation side of things, mm -hmm. if nothing else, based on the way it's calculated. Yeah. That I, presents an opportunity right. for home buyers. That presents an opportunity for people in real estate. That should hopefully ease up on a lot of things to where... The first half of this year should be pretty good. And we've already seen that. You know, we've come out of the gate swinging mm -hmm. because everybody was rocked, stocked and ready to go. Yeah. Um, this is definitely a first half game. Correct. I mean, this now, is a first half warrior game. The sticky CPI, though, fuels our belief that we may start to see things go back up after that. And mm -hmm. this is, you know, I always describe this as inflation on the things you need and disinflation on the things you don't need. Right. Um, we may be in this weird world where some prices are falling and some prices are rising. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, if it falls on stuff you don't need, does it really matter? And um, so that's, that's it's just a phenomenon we haven't had to deal with for 40 years, 50 years, and it's something that's coming back. And, uh, you know, this is this is us trying to look forward and say, what do we expect? And so it helps us to guide people on how to maybe navigate this it does. a little bit in the short it term. It really does. And, you know, I'm, this is where I'm confused. I just watched a State of the Union address. Yep. And I saw the President of the United States take a complete stance, and matter of fact, maybe even a victory lap, on how inflation has gone down on his watch yep. through the Inflation Reduction Act and how it was uh, – and also how um, – how can I say it? That he's created more jobs during this time frame. Um, but I think something that's missing there, and we've talked about this, is inflation was the highest on his watch. Yeah. And it came down. Yeah, it came down. It was the highest on your watch. And then also that jobs are, are – he has the highest jobs on his watch, but you also have changed the way we calculate jobs and job reporting. And so when I think about the Inflation Reduction Act, that's a funny title because here we are talking about inflation. It did nothing to reduce inflation. You actually did the exact opposite. You printed more money. All right. I believe it was $1.7 trillion. You printed money that the government didn't have. And as we've talked about many a times on this show, the more money you print and push into the financial system, you're actually thus adding further inflation into the system. Yep. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com, www.boemortgage.com, because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. 
All right, now back to the podcast. When we're pumping more money into the system, mm-hmm. how in the world could that possibly re- be reducing? What's the, what's the theology when it's like, well, I'm going to give money to people because here's, here's what I think he, th- he thinks is happening. I think he's giving money or thinks he's going to give money, the administration being he, give money to you know certain classes and that they're going to spend our way into prosperity through this. And, and the ideology behind that is it's not spending and giving money that creates uh, that, that's hurting inflation. It's the lack of saving Right. The money, you know. Yeah, I think um, I think there's two routes that anybody could take to try to stop inflation in in from political world, right? And they pretty much just have the ability to either print money uh, or put price controls in. Yeah, price controls go. are are a real dangerous game, right? Oh. Then then we have all sorts of issues of um, you know the the illustration of holding a beach ball underwater and the amount of pressure for that thing to pop up, right? There's there's a lot of issues there. And, you, and we've all seen that before. We've seen some some person at the pool be funny and just push yeah. that beach ball underwater and it pops up and hits them in the chin. Do it for a while, but then— It's only going to last for a little right. bit, right? Right. Um, and, and you just end up with uh, lots of mess there. But on the giving people money, you know, that's easily rationalized as, well, look, prices are up, so let me help you afford the higher prices by mm-hmm. giving you more money to do that. And— you know, to the people that are in need, uh, there's a real emotional side of that that mm-hmm. appeals to you because you say, great, like, you know, that single mom with the two kids, I want her to be able to to live her life. Uh, the hard part is doing that en masse and giving that to a lot of people, it just puts a bunch of money in the system, which makes, you know, again, we just talked about it. Prices going up on things you need. It'd be different if this was on cars and airplane tickets and okay. all these, you know, jewelry, because then... When you got the money, you could either save it or you could pay down your debts, right? The credit card debt mm-hmm. you have because you could still afford the food. You could still afford all the, yes. the necessities of life. Um, people are in a position now where they have to spend the money because it's on necessities, which puts the money right back in the system. And Alex, you say this all the time. The, thing, the misnomer about inflation is that prices are going to come back down. Right. They are not going to come back down. Oh. They just level off. They stop going they up stop as fast. Going up That's as what we're fast. talking yes. about. Yes. So what what I want people to take away from this is that these goods, these sticky items that you're referring to, they're not going to go down. Right. They're just going to stop going up as fast. I mean, you think about, I mean, uh, Jimmy John's, for example. I was just at Jimmy John's the other day with you, and it was $11 for a, a regular size sandwich. And a drink, eleven yeah. bucks. Like that—that's the Florida price too, not the California. Yeah, price. right. But I mean, dude, that's a six dollars, seven dollars meal through and through for many of years. That right. just recently made that jump, right? You know, and and I and I mean, you, you see it at Starbucks, you see it at all these places, and I think sometimes you and I just take pleasure in going to these places just to see what the prices jump to, so sure. you can go, wow, like here it is. But you say it all the time; it's not going to come back down, right? And it's just going to level off. So when this affordability, this 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 conundrum starts to hit, and it will hit, yep. You know, that's where the real challenge lies. Yeah, and I think it it speaks to the value of doing things in your finances to position yourself to hopefully be able to ride the wave up while it's going up. Right. Because if we think about the people who did not own a house, if you rented and you didn't own property and maybe you didn't invest in stocks and things like that, you are really the ones that are suffering the most in this case. Sure. And that's that's the hard part because yeah. those are the people that, that probably need it the most, need yeah. the most help. But it speaks to the point of if you have the ability to buy a house mm-hmm. and you said, I'm going to wait till till prices come down, say 20%, right, 30%. You see it on YouTube all the time, these people <laughs> pre- predicting these crashes. Um, but 
But to cut you off, but the people that predict the crashes, like Alex, that's like me looking at you. And I think we've used this before, but I'm going to use it again. If I'm looking at you and going, you're going to die. Sure. You're going to die. Sure. You're going to die. Eventually, I'm going to be right at some capacity. And I'm sure. not saying 20, 30%, but the negative Nellies are eventually going to be right at some, maybe 10 years down the road, maybe 30 years, but they will be right at some point. Yep. You know, and, and I give credit to a dear friend of ours who uses that analogy all the time, but yep. he's right. He's spot yep. on with it. Yeah. And I think the hard part is that fear causes people to say, I want to get a better deal. So I'm going to wait. Right. And unfortunately, um, we're seeing it play out in real time the better deals are not here, right? There may be a different deal. Right. Uh, you know, you may be able to have a different structure, but there's trade-offs, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you'd have went ahead and made the purchase, maybe you got the lower interest rate and the maybe. lower price, right? Yeah. Um, if you waited, maybe now you get some seller credits, but at the end of the day, you're paying still a higher price. I mean, we saw at least regionally in Jacksonville, prices right. were up 10% a year where rates went doubled, uh, more than doubled. And so I'm hearing rumblings left and right of multiple offers coming back already. Right. So that didn't take long. I think the market's catching on to one of the best ways to keep up with this is to own a hard asset, meaning something that that the price is going to move with inflation and housing happens to be the best one of those to own. So um, I think that's a real testament to thinking about what to do with your personal finances, right? If you can't afford a house and you're not ready for it, that doesn't mean do it. But Mm -hmm. if you're sitting here saying, I'll wait a little bit longer because I think things are going to get better. Well, maybe not. And <laughs> and so far the data is saying not. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not saying that. Right. So, you know, you, you mentioned earlier a comment that I thought was interesting, and maybe it's a, a conversation for another time here. But, you know, when the government gets involved and the yep. government starts telling you how you have to price things yep. and how things should be structured, that's a dangerous proposition. And the consumer is usually the one that loses here. Sure, yeah. You know, let me go back to a great example, and I'm going to pick on an administration, and I don't care what side of the fence you fall on. It doesn't matter what side of the fence I fall on, but I'm going to go back to the Obama-Biden administration, and when they instituted the CFPB, and that was created. Which is the? Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Okay. It has a very good um, outwardly reach, but the creation behind it was to regulate the financial industries because there was this notion that we were so irresponsible that it caused this financial crisis, this collapse that happened. The 2008. The 2008, yeah. That that had to be the answer, right? That was the problem. There were major issues. That was one of many, right? But they took the brunt of the blame. And so the CFPB was created to regulate all aspects of that, from the car lending to the mortgage lending, credit cards, everything. Well, part of that throughout the duration of that creation of the first two years was they took away banks or credit cards abilities. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I heard Biden mention it again in the State of the Union, the junk fee removal. It, they took away the ability for the banks to charge you for certain like checking accounts or certain fees that they would charge you for. And I think I heard him like say- an overdraft fee. Well, that was one of the ones he wants to remove now. Yep. And then if you remember, there was a time when you would pay your credit card over the phone and they would charge you $27 to take that payment over the phone. Is that absurd? Yes. But here's what happened. When he, in the, when the Consumer Financial Bureau took away all these things that banks and lending institutions and cars and, and car lending institutions were doing, they thought they were winning for the consumer. Those costs were just pushed down in another manner. Right. You know, you, when's the last time you've heard of anyone brag about a free checking account? Sure. It doesn't exist. There is right. no free checking. You pay for your checks. 
you pay for certain aspects of that account. There's service fees that come with that account now. You know, in some cases, there was a time when you couldn't even go to the teller window more than three times, you know, a certain amount of time period before you were charged. Right. Like, there, ATM fees still exist now. Those didn't, free ATM fees used to be a thing, but when they took away the ability to make money in other areas, that actually got passed down to all the consumers. And quite frankly, an overdraft fee that's that's not necessarily that's a punishment for writing a check or moving money around in an account that you didn't have, mm-hmm. right? So you're you're being hey listen the bank's fronting that money on your behalf and I'm gonna charge you a fee for that. So that can almost be like a financial fee, a financing right. fee, right? To remove that and then have everyone punished at the ATM because those were spending money they didn't have or misjuggling funds that were not there appropriately sounds like the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. And then we have the president of the United States stand up and go. I'm going to remove all junk fees. You know, I think I, I think I even heard him use one example of like a resort fee. He wanted to remove the resort fee. Sure. I'm like, yeah, there, there's a genius move because now the rooms at those places are just going to go up, you know, exponentially because you're having them, you're proposing you're going to have them remove this. So um, I, I, I have my feelings about what they've done with that and how it's actually hurt. The, my point is the only person that's heart and lost in that whole equation is the consumer. The yeah. person you're trying to protect the most is the one that gets really kind of hurt the most in the whole situation. Absolutely. And when I think in my mind, whenever we talk about somebody getting regulated, I think of a water balloon. And when you squeeze a water balloon and tighten on one area, what does it do? Shoots well, out shoots of all out. these other areas, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, the I government, think of this song, by the way. Which song? Regulators. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, what uh, I think of. <laughs> that will mount up. The, yes. um, they, the hard part is there's this ripple effect that happens with any regulation. Mm -hmm. Anything can be in good intentions, but they don't necessarily have the ability to see or or they don't want to see or whatever how this is going to change on the sort of third and second and fourth waves after they do it, right? So just like you said, okay, great. You take away the fees. Well, room rates are going up, right? Or or you take away origination fees on a loan. Okay, well, rates just went up, Correct. right? I mean, it's it's, it's going down. to expand in another area as you tighten in this area because at the end of the day, you cannot do it all. No. Um, and so uh, it, that's it's a challenge that cannot be solved by regulation. This is a challenge that has to be solved by removing money from the the economy, which is a painful thing to be done, which is why this is a real double-edged sword. You either uh, are going to let it sort of continue at its pace and give people money to keep up with it, which is going to make it worse, and you're going to give more money, and it's a cycle that we're going to keep going down, or you have to essentially pull the air out of the balloon yeah. or pull the water out of the balloon. So now when you squeeze on it, right, it, there's nothing in there. So Well, there's always a different philosophy amongst administrations. And, you know, one administration, one side wants a lot of regulation. It's been a, it's been a, a, it's been a pillar of their platform. Yep. Another side is more entrepreneurship and capitalism, and that is a pillar of their platform. Both have their faults. Both have their benefits. Doesn't matter what side you choose. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, with the administration that we're in right now, the regulation is starting to act almost like a boa constrictor around capitalism and entrepreneurship. And some of the things that we're seeing happening right in front of us, it, it, it's a great example of that. And I think you can brag about the 10.5 million new small businesses that filed to open. Filing to open and starting a new job are two different things. Like uh, It's like 10.5 million permits. It's not like the homes were created, they didn't go vertical right away. And, and I'd venture to say that some of those are gig economy at homes where people were W-2 working at home and then switched to 1099 where they're only going to employ themselves. They're not going to create all this new jobs or anything yep. else. I mean, there's a lot of fallacy in how that number's presented. But at the end of the day, regulation prevents growth. 
just all I'm going to say about that. Sure. It always has. It always will. And I think for some of this inflation to get better, they're going to have to loosen that regulation a little bit. That, yeah. that choking grip that they have necessarily on some of the businesses. Yeah, and the idea is that the free market's going to sort it out better, right? There you go. So, so just an example there, if if one bank is charging too many fees, well, unless there's only one bank, you would go to the other bank, right? Or, <laughs> or the, any of I the other banks. I love this argument, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the, when the government regulates, they assume the consumer is stupid and doesn't have the ability to price shop. So when I mean, yeah, you're being talking about in our industry, correct? We know very well they know how to price they shop. Know just and fine how to price shop. Correct. Right. And so it would sort itself out, right? right? If somebody's charging more than they're worth, the consumers will stop going there. Yeah. And so what Alex is saying is this, and I love this argument. Uh, you know, and I think if the FDIC did not insure every deposit up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars per depositor mm-hmm. on the account per account, there would not be the safety net of of um, security or security blanket. Mm-hmm. You would actually walk in to bank A, bank B, and bank C. You'd shop their services and how good of a customer service they had as well right. before you put your money and entrusted it in there. Correct. That's you would actually I, do due diligence, You would do right? some due diligence. You would look it up. You would see some things that had happened, and you would talk to your friends, your family. You would do some market research, as you said, mm-hmm. because the consumer's not stupid, right? But when we offer that insurance, it's like a security blanket of everything's okay. They're all the same. It doesn't matter. Just pick right. one, right? Whichever's right. closer to your house or has the coolest looking ATM card or debit card or whatever. Sure. You know what I mean? Because there's no perks anymore they give. Those are all been eliminated. Sure. You know, so, I mean, the reality is there's just, there's this notion of they're all the same, so just choose whichever one's convenient. Yeah, well, and, and anytime, you know, even just think about taxes, anytime they change a rule, guess what? There's another loophole that that creates. Yep. I mean, this this is, it's silly to think that you could apply rules and you would actually accomplish exactly what you're trying to do with no other yeah. sort of... Uh, butterfly effect, if you will. So, yeah, I think we just created another episode inside of an episode right now, but it all goes together. Though our point is this: is that we need the CPI to come down. In order for that CPI to come down, there needs to be some loosening and restrictions of certain things that are happening. And we also want the consumer to know that there's certain aspects, maybe what the Atlanta Fed is onto with that sticky standpoint of the yep. CPI. There's certain aspects that don't appear to be coming down that actually impact the consumer a lot more than some of these, you know, traditional CPI readings that are out there. Yeah, like Peter Schiff says. We need people going to work. Mm. We need more competition in the market. Yep. And we need more production of goods because guess what? When you have more people providing services, the cost has to come down because mm-hmm. there's more competition. When you have more goods in the market, the cost will come down because there's more supply. And that will allow us to potentially get out of this without this sort of crash and burn mentality, right? Yeah. So, um, you're not going to spend your way out of uh, of an inflationary cycle. Correct. We, and we may have to work our way. And I think right. this is, we're seeing it regionally, right? Yep. This is why certain regions are outperforming others because certain regions are more at work than others. So yeah. hopefully we can we can see this come to fruition. And, um, you know, the one thing I know about all of us is uh, human nature is to be productive and to create and to be of value. So I have confidence that we will find a solution that we will you know, overcome these challenges. Uh, the question is just, does somebody get in our way and make that a little bit harder? Yeah, great point. Alex, thanks for being on the show here. Uh, give our audience a little bit more information on The Market Distillery and where they can find more. Absolutely, yes. You can you can find us at themarketdistillery.com or on Instagram at, at the Market Distillery. Uh, we 
we specialize in helping people to understand the market in an easy way. We distill it down <laughs> into easy to understand insights. Um, and our focus is really on serving real estate professionals. Yeah, you guys do a hell of a job. Everything that I've done with you guys presentation-wise and just even on the show, feedback's uh, just really great and, and powerful. I appreciate and always value having you as a guest on the show. Guys, if you want to hear more about The Market Distillery and Alex, check them out at themarketdistillery.com. If you want to hear more from our show, rate this podcast. Give us a five-star, leave a comment, five-star comment on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also check us out on our YouTube channel if you want to see the graphs and you want to see some of the images that we're talking about. Those all show up on our show notes there at YouTube. And also check us out on our social medias. We're on every platform. Alex, thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely. Have a great day. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put them all into it, yeah.